Welcome to the Everything Leaves podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, as always. Nick, I'm feeling pretty smart today. We didn't record last week. If we did, it would have been a mess after that Zamboni driver game, David Ayers. Instead, we wait an extra extra week to record. We get three wins, and we could be a little bit positive today. So how smart are you feeling on your end? Really smart, especially considering I was on a flight during that David Ayers game. And when I first landed, I got a text saying how crazy the game was. And then I checked Twitter, and I did not expect to see what I saw. Um, so if there was any game for me to miss, I'm glad that's that game. Yeah, I think that whole week, too, like, they had beat the Sens, but it wasn't all that convincing, and then they got crushed by the Sabres, I was at that game, and they just got, like, dominated, outplayed by the Sabres of all teams, and then it was kind of, you know, a rough one against Pittsburgh, finally a, a good performance like, on the second half of that home-and-home home with Pittsburgh, things finally looked up, and then the Hurricanes game just kind of crushed me. Uh, I think everyone was incredibly frustrated. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like when you opened Twitter for the first time after that uh, after that flight. But, I mean, the, the nice part was is Florida also lost that night. So it almost felt like it didn't matter in the standings. And then, you know, big three wins this week. So let's get into the three stars. Uh, we're fortunate here that we can be a little bit more positive because we're coming off three wins. But so win versus Vancouver, win versus Florida. Big win versus Florida, and then a win versus Tampa as well in that stretch. Who would your three stars be for this week? Uh, I'll start with Kasperi Kapanen. I know that during kind of the pre-deadline, a lot of people were low on Kapanen, and he's had kind of an up-and-down year, but I felt like this past week and a half, he's really turned it up, and even Sheldon Keefe has uh, kind of highlighted that Kapanen's at his best when he's he's skating well, and I, I love when he has this scrappy kind of side to him. Um, even the fights aside, the fights are great, but he's been a lot more active off the puck. Um, he's been really feisty getting into the corners and trying to win battles, and he's even uh, potted in a few goals, like not last night's game, but the game before. So that's the Kasperi captain they need to have on that third line, especially coming into the playoffs, uh, especially when they play teams like Boston and Tampa that do have two very good lines. So they need that third line to be good. So captain uh, needs to be good. Yeah, I had him as my third star. Uh, I got to agree with you there. I think he's just been a completely different player. And the fights are, are one thing, but just his ability to get on the four check. He's finally scoring again. Uh, I liked him with Kerfoot. I don't know why they broke that up. But I think just he's, he's brought a lot of energy and just seems to be a guy that has another gear. Uh, I like to see maybe a little bit more consistent throughout the year. I like to see this all the time. But uh, I think he's definitely deserving of, of one of the three, just Kasperi scrapping in, as they're calling him. Um Another guy who I think's really stepped up this week is Zach Hyman. Did you have him as one of your three? Yeah, I think we might have the same ones this week. That was my second star. Okay, and you're, I mean, there's not much to say about Hyman. He's just been so consistent. I thought that against that Florida game, he just stepped up, brought energy, uh, just nice play after nice play. And it's it's kind of funny how he's evolved over the years, where at first it was like, okay, I think he could be a good depth player. And it's like, wow, he's he's with Matthews he's with Tavares really and now now it's like he's like a, a surefire top six forward who just brings it every night so not much to say there I guess yeah I think he's a guy that that plays within his means he knows what he's good at and he doesn't really try to do too much outside of his 
his strengths. Uh, he really likes. He's really good at being the first guy on the forecheck. Wins a lot of pucks there. And then as soon as he gets the puck, he looks to get it to Matthews or or Marner, the guys that can really make the plays. Uh, he scored a ton of goals this year. He is shooting a high percentage, as it's really well documented. I think he's around 20, 20 to twenty one percent right now. So he's already at twenty one goals this year. And I know he finished last year with twenty one goals, and he's done it in like half the time this year. So. You know, the shooting percentage is high and it's not something you really expect from him, but he just does so many other things well that the goal scoring is just a cherry on top with Zach Hyman. Yeah, I think he gets the absolute most out of his skill set out of any player. And uh, again, like he's just been their most consistent player since he's come back from that injury at the start of the year. But who was your third star? Uh, my third star was Frederick Anderson. I know that he's had, I mean, we're talking about up and down years with Kapanen earlier and I don't think there's anyone who's had a more up-and-down year than Frederick Anderson, who has almost been a beacon of consistency over the years. So to see him being so inconsistent this year has been a little bit weird, and I know it's kind of taken the fan base off guard, but it's nice to see him get a few wins this week. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, if this team needs, to, if this team's going to win games in the playoffs, they're going to need their number one goalie to be at his best. And uh, it's nice to see Anderson get into a little rhythm this week. Yeah, I think with Anderson, I get a bit frustrated when I see things on, on Twitter with goaltending. I don't think he's had a very good year, to be clear. But like when, when, it, when there's a goaltender that's struggling on the season and he lets in a few goals that aren't his fault, like I, I, you got to be a little bit rational. And I feel like last night's game, he actually played quite well. Now, it wasn't the best start. Uh, there are two goals that kind of, you know, cross-ice passes going in the back of the net. I know you can't, you don't, you also don't want to say, like, he had 0% chance of saving it. It's completely not his fault. Uh, I do think that, you know, he could have made an outstanding save to make one. But I thought he just poured in the Florida game. I thought he, he bounced back nicely in the second and third. And then... Again, on, on Saturday, he kind of bounced back in the second and third. So it hasn't been pretty this week, or this year. Um, but I am glad that, you know, he's getting wins. He's grinding it out. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't hate that selection. But my third star was much better. It was Martin Marinson because he is scoring highlight real goals. Why, did you, why didn't you have... Martin Marinson. You know, I really should have. That way we could have had the exact same three uh, three stars, but I had to switch it up a little bit. I knew you were going to go with Marinson. Okay. Well, at least you had Hyman, who Austin Matthews calls the Sidney Crosby of six on five. So. I know. I feel like uh, we've been talking about six on five, like how elite of a goal scorer he is for a bunch of podcasts now, and Matthews is just jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, we could, we could have a whole podcast about empty net goals because Hyman got one. And then Marner had that really nice one. I think it was against Ottawa. And then Justin Hall had one from his own zone. Uh, I think that was against Florida. So, I mean, the Leafs are a team that is elite at empty net goals. I, I think it's safe to say. And, and they're led by Hyman. I was looking it up, actually. I'll say this quickly. Where it was the top empty net goal scorers of the last two seasons. And here, here's the list. It's Sebastian Ajo, Alexander Ovechkin, Patrice Bergeron, Zach Hyman, um, Kyle Connor and Nathan McKinnon. So one of those guys aren't like the rest. Only one has written a children's book. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. Maybe Ovi will, uh, or McKinnon maybe might come out with one. We'll see. But yeah, we got a lot to go over because I mean we've we've seen the trade deadline, we've seen extensions. Uh, let's start with 
Let's start with Jake Muzzin. So the Muzzin extension was rumored for some time. Uh, it looks like it's going to be what well, is a four-year deal, uh, under six million, which I was surprised with. I thought it was going to be over six. Uh, he brings something to the table that a lot of the Leafs defensemen don't, whereas he's a good defensive defenseman. Uh, I was pretty happy with the Muzzin extension overall. Where did where were your thoughts on that extension? I think probably around uh, around the same line there. I was happy with it. The Leafs have spent so many years trying to find a defenseman like Jake Muzzin, even though he is left-handed. Um, that and, and they made a trade where they really didn't give up too much in terms of uh, short-term. Like They gave up Grunstrom, they gave up Jersey, guys that might be good in the future, and they gave up the pick. So I liked that trade when it first happened, and if someone told me that at the time of the trade that we'd be able to extend Muzzin at the number that we did and the term that we did, I'd be even happier. So... You know, obviously, you never want to judge a extension based on solely on a trade, but that does kind of factor in there. So I was happy with it, but um, and and you know, you you talk about the term and and signing guys that are over thirty. I don't think it'll hurt them too much. Um, the third and fourth year might be. I don't want to say it's going to be rough, but you know, Muzzin's game might decline. But the Leafs have left-handed defensemen such as Rasmus Sandin, Dermot Riley that can increase their minutes. And if Muzzin is, I think Muzzin should still be able to handle first or even second lines. And if he's not, I think that I have enough confidence in, for example, Sandine's trajectory and and Dermot's trajectory that they should be able to handle those minutes come that time. Yeah, I think this was, frankly, I think it's a steal for the Leafs. Uh, I know that with his skill set, you worry about decline. But I think if Muzzin hit the free agent market, I think he could have got a fifth year, and I think he could have pushed that AAV a little bit higher. Uh, the one thing I really like about this deal is, and I'm looking at cap friendly here, so the first year it's a full no move, the second and third year it's a no trade clause, and then in the last year it's a modified no trade clause. So he's got 10 teams he can put on his no trade list, uh, but there's a signing bonus for $2 million in that last year, and then after July 1st it's just $2 million. So that's a very tradable deal if Muzzin falls off you keep him for three years I think he'll be good for three years uh, I think he's going to have surplus value for those first three years and then if if all goes wrong if, if he declines at a, at a pretty fast rate uh, like two million dollars in, in actual salary shouldn't be a, a big holdup. so I'd rather, I mean, I think Muzzin kind of has the perfect skill set for this team. You don't need him to be on the power play. You have, like, Riley, Barry for this year. You have Sandine, even Lilligren if you needed to. Uh, you have other options there. What you do need is a guy that can be on the top penalty kill unit, uh, on a top shutdown unit for the next two years. I don't think you want Riley there. I think he's more of an offensive defenseman. I don't think you want Sandine there at his age. So... I am going to miss Muzzin when he's out of the lineup here with, uh, I think it's a broken hand, but I can't say enough good things about that extension. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you made a really good point there about uh, kind of the the, the contract um, construction, because I know at the last podcast, we were talking about the Muzzin deal. I mean, the Muzzin, um, like a potential contract that Muzzin would get. And we said that the construction of the contract, especially in those later years, is going to play a huge factor in it. So I'm glad the Leafs got it right. Yeah, and not... I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. So at the deadline, 
there is a lot of criticism over Dubis. Uh, that was right after the, the Carolina game. Uh, there's a weird contingent on Twitter that just that just complains about him 24 seven. Um, and it's like, do you not for like, do you not remember what happened with Lou? Like with the Marlowe contract, they didn't have a way to get out of that. Uh, they had to give up a first in order to get out of that deal with Zaitsev. They didn't really have a clear way to get out of it. Uh, they had to kind of work some magic and take on a bad contract. Um, and then you see like Komarov's deal on the Islanders. Matt Martin's deal was, was basically taken by Lou. That would have been tough to get out of. Um, so the Leafs ended up with like this cap crunch, and Dubas coming into the year said this was going to be the toughest year from a cap perspective. Uh, because they had that Marlowe deal, they had Zaitsev, uh, they didn't really have much expiring. So I do appreciate the fact that the Muzzin deal is structured the way it is because it, it's now... I'm happy to have a front office is kind of looking ahead and, and realizing that players do decline. And uh, I mean, frankly, I think it's a big home hometown discount from Muzzin. So, I mean, we'll take it. Yeah. And when it comes to that contingency, I think that that's kind of the hate towards Dubis or the criticisms from that kind of group are more narrative based where, you know, we hear about Dubis that he over, he over, he overlooks and he wants skill over toughness. But when you look at the track record and, and the moves that he's made towards the Leafs since he's come into office, and the other one is that he only cares about offense and not defense. I mean, we were just talked about Jake Muzzin. He traded two prospects and a first-round pick for a very good defensive defenseman. Last week or two weeks ago, we he traded for Kyle Clifford, who's a good defensive forward who brings that toughness element. So... I mean, he, he clearly cares about defense, and he clearly cares about the toughness aspect of the game. And I really liked the, the answer that he gave when they asked him about that Clifford, uh, whether that he's changing his, his theories um, just because he got Clifford. And he said, we shy away from players who are tough that can't play. Kyle Clifford can play. So I think that kind of the, those criticisms from that group are kind of more narrative-based, where... No matter what he does, they're still going to think that he only cares about offense and only cares about skill and doesn't care about anything else. So I guess that's my rant for the podcast. Yeah, I think, and the one thing I think he deserves some criticism for, and I think we disagree on on the Barry trade, as we talked about last episode, right. but I didn't like that trade. So, I mean, I'll, I'll criticize him a bit for that move, but it's nothing like fireable. Like it was, it was a close enough trade. Um, and, and you're, you can afford like one bad trade, uh, over the course of, you know, a year or two. So I'm not going to, I, what I do want to get into, I know we already discussed Barry last episode, but there was an opportunity to trade him at this year's deadline. Uh, Barry is a rental. They are very unlikely to resign him. It looks like, um, largely because it was kind of Muzzin or Barry. They went with Muzzin. I think that was the right choice. Uh, but following that Carolina game, I thought they might sell. And I think at a certain price, I would have moved Tyson Berry. Uh, of course, we didn't know that Muzzin was going to be injured at the time, the very next day. But what were your thoughts on basically standing pat at the deadline, not moving Barry, uh, and, and maybe getting like a prospect or a pick or, or someone like Troy Stetcher? Yeah, so I think that we really need to define the word sell, though, because I saw that word thrown around a lot around the deadline pertaining to Barry, 
And like to me, if if they trade Tyson Berry and they get a right-handed defenseman who can play this year and who can play next year, that's not selling. That's just a trade. Selling to me is more like Tyson Berry is traded for futures, and that's a team that's selling. Like Detroit was selling this year. They traded Anthony Ciu and other players for futures. Um, so I didn't. So I was kind of confused on that. But when it came to to Barry them standing pat, I unless they were going to get a right-handed defenseman or a player that could play right defense for this year, I didn't want them to make a trade. Um, I think that with the current kind of six, six, um, the six players that they have right now, when they're healthy, I think that they can be competitive. Um, so I'm okay with them standing pat because if the, this was not like an emergency situation. Um, I think that when they first made the trade, they planned on Barry being in the playoffs. So if they weren't going to get the deal that made sense for them and that they were going to clearly win, I was okay with them standing pat. Yeah, so I think, as you said, if there's a trade out there that, and, you know, you get something for Barry and then you flip the asset and you get another right-shooting defenseman that's got some term, I was all in. Um, of course, it depends, like, what else is going in that deal. Are you giving out someone like Kapanen? And then it's kind of like, who's the defenseman? Is it Severson? Is it Ristolainen? Like, there's going to be a big difference there. Um, but in terms of selling for, like, futures, I think there is a price where you would absolutely do it. Like, if a team calls you with one minute before the deadline and says, okay, we'll give you three first-round picks for Barry, you're going to do it. Uh, if it's two first-round picks, I'm going to do it. If it's one first-round pick, I think I would have done it. Uh, maybe that's where we'll disagree, but it sounds like they didn't even get that type of offer. So, like, I, I wouldn't have much interest in trading him for a second-round pick. Um, and that's even, that's again, we didn't know at the time that Muzzin was going to be hurt the very next game. But, like, for a first-round pick, I think I would have done it and then flipped that first-round pick at the draft try to get a, a very good controllable right-shooting defenseman and some sort of deal. Uh, but for a second-round pick, for me, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we look at the, the margin there, it would have to be a first-round pick would probably be, I don't want to say the best-case scenario, but it would be a very good scenario. So if they got, because they weren't going to get two first-round picks, and I know you're just, you didn't mean that, but they, when it comes to the first-round pick for Barry, yeah, I don't think they got that offer. Uh, it would probably be a little bit under that, you know, if that's the offer that they got. I would still say that, let's say they get a second and a few other players that, you know, really don't move the needle. I think that you still have to stand pat because even if Mazendin gets injured, if Barry gets traded and you get no one back that can play this year, you're now running a right side that's Justin Hall, who's your best now your best uh, right-handed defenseman. Next you have, I guess you'd have Mernson, you'd have... Lilligren, and that's pretty much your right side. So I don't know if you can make that trade given that your team's in a playoff spot. And I know Boston and Tampa are playing very well, but I mean, we've seen crazy things happen in the playoffs. So I think that's where, I think it's a very fine line, but if they got a first round pick, I think that I would, I would make that deal, but I don't think they got that deal, as you said. Yeah, I think with the first round pick, I wouldn't have much intention of using the pick um i'd probably trade it at the draft but because their run like because their playoff pitcher would be 
you got to go through Tampa, and then you got to go through Boston. Uh, I do see value in being competitive in a playoff series and potentially winning even one round, uh, especially with a team like the Leafs. But at, at that rate, I, I'd be looking at the future, just saying, you know, let's maximize our chances of winning in future years. Let's make the move. Uh, we'll, we'll rely on someone like, you know, Timothy Lilligren to fill that role. But a couple things happened after the deadline that kind of made it pretty, uh, I guess, beneficial for the Leafs for keeping Barry. One being that Muzzin got hurt the next game. And two being Stamkos is now out, I think it's like four to six weeks. So he might be out for the first round. All of a sudden, if the Leafs have to play Tampa, I don't say, I'm not going to say that they're favorites. I don't think they're the favorites even without Stamkos in, but uh, I do think that the Leafs' playoff odds get a, a bit better. So it does look like the Leafs are pretty fortunate there. Yeah, and you know I know we're going to talk about the Cali Rosen trade probably after this, but things since the deadline have kind of fallen into place when it comes to that injury um, to Stamkos and also the one to Muzzin. And now that Cali Rosen deal, and I guess this could be our segue, uh, looks really good. Okay, so let's talk about Rosen. I don't think it's going to be a very controversial trade. Like, I doubt we're going to disagree much here. Uh, I think it was kind of wise to give Hutchison a, a fresh start. Obviously, he had some success in Winnipeg, not nearly as much success in Toronto. Uh, but the Leafs get a guy back who you know well. Watch him out with the Marlies. He's, he's played a few games with the Leafs in the past. Uh, what did you think of getting Callie Rosen back? I know that I might be kind of being a bit extra here, but these are the types of deals that I love that the Leafs make now. Um, just these these ones where they have a player that it doesn't seem like they really have much to give to the organization. Uh, Michael Hutchinson, I was a big fan of him. I was kind of rooting for him this year. He's had a really tough year. But, I mean, obviously they made that Jack Campbell trade. He and Hutchinson, it kind of went down the depth order. He really wouldn't benefit too much from going down to the Marlies. He's now 29 years old. Doesn't seem like he has too much upside at this point in his career. So it's it's nice for the Leafs to be able to flip guys like this and get value. And I know we're going to talk about the Malgan trade later, but they get Callie Rosenbach, who's a bit younger, who is very used to this organization, who came up the ranks uh, with the Marlies and became a really good defenseman with the Marlies. I really liked watching him play. I liked the way he skates, a pretty good puck mover. So, And then two days later, when Muzzin got injured, that deal looks even better. So I like that they're able to get these guys, to trade these guys that don't really have much value for the team, and they make these small wins. Yeah, and I was looking, so thinking back, uh, Rosen joined the team, joined the the Marlies when they won the Calder Cup. I thought he was kind of like a, a second-pairing NHL defenseman for most of that year. Then the playoffs came, and he just took a step up, took a step forward. And then I thought last year he ended up being the number one defenseman on the Marlies. Uh, Keith used him that way. He put him on the power play, put him on the penalty kill, played him the most at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, I, thought, I thought he was going to make the Leafs this year, whether it be as you know a third-pairing left-shooting defenseman with moving someone like Dermot to the right side, or as maybe like a 7th, 8th defenseman on the roster. Uh, but I did think that he was going to be on the team. And then, of course, he was kind of thrown into that cadre trade. Uh, and then, you know, it's a guy that we know Keith likes. So when Keith took over as coach, you know, I didn't 
I didn't even think that they'd go for Rosen, but it's kind of a nice a nice fit. Obviously, he's played with Lilligren before. He's played with, I mean, the Leafs right now have basically the whole Marley's defense from that Calder Cup run other than Vincent Laverty. So it's it's kind of funny that, you know, the band's back together. Yeah, he sh- Laverty should have been on TSN's trade bait. Should have been number one, just uh, based off that. I'm surprised the Leafs didn't move like Nick Robertson, you know, just whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes. How about yeah, definitely. How about the Melgan trade? I know you are a Marchment hater. I'm a lot higher on Marchment <laughs> than you are, uh, but I still like the trade. Um, I'm I'm guessing you're even higher on it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Marchment, I, I I feel bad for for now now that he's gotten traded. But I mean, I, I guess I was never as hyped up about him as other people. I felt that. I mean, he was very good off the puck in terms of his uh, ability to win battles, and he was a takeaway specialist. Uh, I like the the kind of physical side of his play. I just never really felt that he gave much in terms of puck carrying, playmaking. Uh, he was an okay goal scorer, but you know, I've, I've said this time and time again on this podcast. When it comes to the the Marlies that have been called up to the Leafs and made a, a impact right away, uh, Kapanen, Janssen, um, even Pierre Engvall. They were very, very good at the AHL level right before they, they came up. They were kind of dominating, even a little bit to a lesser extent with Engvall, but in comparison to the other guys there. But I never felt that Marchman was going to be able to come up and make a very big impact at the NHL. And he was already, I think now he's 24, I might be wrong on that, but he was already kind of getting past that age where we see players improve from year to year. So... I was happy with this trade. Uh, Dennis Mulligan, a guy that a lot of people were kind of, you know, when once we saw that he was getting healthy scratched from the, the Panthers, I did see on my timeline a lot of people saying that, you know, someone should trade for him. So, and, and now that I've watched him a little bit more, I, I really like his skill set. I think he's a little bit on the smaller end, obviously, but very, very active off the puck. Uh, very good at getting open from what I've watched. Uh, has a, some some good stick handling and, and some finishing ability. So not a big goal scorer, but he has had a, a decent shot. So it's just one of those deals. This one kind of reminds me of the Nick Patan for uh, Par Lindholm trade from last year, where Dubis just, again, sees a guy that might not have as much upside or as much value to the organization and flips it for a potential uh, kind of diamond in the rocks. Yeah, so what I will say is it did also remind me of that Patan trade where last year I was very frustrated seeing Gauthier and Lindholm in the same lineup. I think they're both fourth-line centers at best. I don't like having one on the wing. Uh, I was uh, I was glad that that problem kind of got fixed through the trade. And then through this year, like right before the deadline, Gauthier was the third-line center, and I could not stand it. Um, and I'm glad that Malgan kind of, his addition kind of sprung some action there. Malgan started with Tavares, Kerfoot then was down to, th- to the third line center spot where I like him. Uh, so I was, I was happy from that perspective. I do think they didn't use Marchment very well. Uh, part of that is that they went out and got Kyle Clifford. They're kind of fighting for the same role. Uh, I think having two is a little bit redundant. Uh, I do think Marchman is good at going the net. He's good at generating some takeaways, using his long reach. Uh, I do think he's a, a pretty good player, and, and the Leafs could use someone with his skill set, but they ended up getting Clifford. He kind of made 
Marchment, you know, irrelevant for this year. When they did have Marchment up, they were playing him with Goche. I do think, as you said, he needs the transition help. He needs the playmaking help. So it wasn't a great fit. Uh, Melgan's a guy I wanted to get for a while. I thought Florida was going to sell very low on him. Uh, he's a good skater, and I think he's good, pretty good defensively as a result. Uh, just getting it on the forecheck, and then also... Uh, I do like having as many centers as possible, especially after last year where, you know, the Leafs didn't really have the center depth come playoff time, and, and they ended up using Nylander there. Uh, I, I want Nylander in the top six. I want him playing with one of Tavares or Matthews. And, you know, now it seems, whether it's Spezza, Kerfoot, uh, Engvall, Malgin, they, they have some options there. So I don't want to see Gauthier as a third-line center ever again. Uh, I, I do like... I mean, it's, it's weird. Melgan's younger than than Marchman, and it feels like he's been an NHL player forever. So I don't know if it's like prospect fatigue. I don't think he, he brings a ton of scoring upside to the table, and he doesn't win a ton of battles at his size. But I do like the speed, especially when it's paired with, with someone like Clifford. Yeah, so we'll see how he's used. I think that he's going to kind of be a fringe player for this year. Um, so just because of how much competition there is down there, especially when Mikheyev comes back. Uh, and I don't think Janssen's going to come back, but even with without that, without him coming back, it might be a little difficult for Malgin to get into the to the lineup, especially considering it seems like Clifford will be in there. Um, would you have Malgin? Let's say it, it's a healthy lineup minus Janssen. Would you have Malgin in your lineup? Uh, maybe. So that means Mikhaev's back, right? Right. So. Uh... Like I'm not a huge Goche fan. Like I would, I would rather go with like Spezza down the middle there, and then have Malgin speed. But potentially, like maybe some games. I don't think he'd be in the lineup every night though. Like he's not all that great offensively. He he doesn't really penalty kill. He's not really great on draws. But I do like having his speed there. So you know, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't think you know he might end up like Patan or he's in some nights and, and out others but I do like taking a chance on him I do like having an extra center if needed um like when you when you look at this lineup right now like do you have any any complaints any hot takes here uh, I know you like like you wouldn't mind going back to Matthews Nylander and then Tavares Marner I don't I, I'm with you on that I don't know if it makes a huge difference but I'm definitely with you on that um, for me, it's Kerfoot at center. I want him at center. I think he's best there. Uh, what are your thoughts on, I mean, last game against Vancouver, he went back to right wing on the Tavares line. But for me, I love Kerfoot as a third line center. Yeah, so do I. And I think that Kerfoot and Kapanen really work well together. And in the games that they have played together, that third line has looked excellent. Now, I've seen Keith get a lot of criticism about him going back and forth and and I saw you were in a conversation there the other day about Kerfoot and trust uh, of him in the third line center. I think you were bang on about that. I don't think that it's Keefe that... I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but I don't think Keefe really doesn't trust Kerfoot at center uh, on that third line. I think that just because of how many injuries they've had on that left wing, you know, he kind of has to put Kerfoot up there. Now, I wouldn't mind them kind of... I don't want to use the word experimenting, but putting Engvall up in that top six, putting uh, Malgin up there to play with uh, the Tavares line. So so we kind of have seen him going back and forth, like putting Kerfoot up on that second line with uh, Tavares and Nylander and then bringing him back to third line center. But 
just the fact that he has been kind of switching it back and forth kind of shows me that come playoff time, when the team does get Mikheyev back, I would be very surprised to see Kerfoot still in the top six. Yeah, and so the conversation I was getting on Twitter was Kerfoot's not... Kerfoot's been on the wing a lot, and I think a lot of people put two and two together and then think, you know, Keefe doesn't trust him at center. Well, I do think it's more related to not trust, but, you know, Keefe doesn't like his other top six wing options right now, and when Mikhaev or Janssen are back, that might change. Uh, And I would, as you said, I would expect it to change. What I don't really like about Keefe as of late, and it feels like Keefe's in his honeymoon phase still where, like, he's not getting any criticism. Uh, I do like Keefe, to be clear, but I don't like every decision he makes. Like, I don't think he's 100% perfect. Uh, And the one thing that I've kind of disagreed with him is I don't love his bottom six on a lot of nights. I think he kind of prioritizes the top six. Uh, I think the Leafs went a pretty long stretch there where they just weren't getting the secondary scoring. Uh, like it, That's what prompted Goche on the third line. It was like, this is not the solution. So I do think that getting scoring out of that third line is important. I do think getting Kapitan going is important, as he has been lately. Uh, I really like that Kerfoot-Kapitan duo together. I just think it gives them you know three pretty dangerous lines. Then you often run like someone like Spets on the fourth line. Uh, but I do think that when you have weak third line and you have like just an okay fourth line, uh, you have Tavares out there against tough competition, and then you're really just reliant on that Matthews line to score. And and if they're not kind of scoring, you know, two three goals a game, it feels like the Leafs are in a tough spot. So I- I'm hoping that they like another option on the top six wing, whether it's Melgin, uh, whether it's Engvall, uh, whether it's you know even Spezza. I wouldn't mind trying there, but. I do love that kerfoot Capitan duo. Yeah, and I expect to see it later in the year. Um, when it comes to that Gochi on the third line, I saw that Spezza was the fourth line center for just so, for my own, I guess, just to stay happy. I kind of considered that the third line, even though that's not the way that the uh, the order went on the different tweets. But I haven't checked the ice time, so I'm not really sure if Gochi did get more ice time than the fourth liners, I guess in parentheses there, that game. Yeah, it just felt like they had two fourth lines that game. And I mean, it's just one game, so I won't go too crazy about it, I guess. But uh, I am a little bit concerned with the bottom six when Kerfoot's not in the bottom six. So, like last night, I, I don't, I love Spezza. I think everyone loves Spezza. I prefer him on the wing or as the fourth line center. Uh, I don't really love him as a third line center. I'd rather have Kerfoot there. I just think he's better defensively. Uh, I, I just think, you know, Spezza, Kapanen, and I think it was Clifford. I just don't love the line. Uh, I, I, Again, I'm a huge fan of, of Kerfoot in the center. I don't think he brings a ton of the forecheck on the wing. Uh, I don't think he brings a ton of speed where he's beating guys out on the outside. Um, but I think he's just a smart player, plays a two-way game. I like him defensively up the middle. Uh, so I'd go back to that. That's really my, my key uh, criticism, I guess. Like, I, I, I want a better bottom six. Um, a few other things. One, when I look at the Leafs as of late, I've seen Matthew step up to the point where, you know, he's, he's probably at least in the MVP conversation right now. Uh, I think Tavares has had a great week. Hyman's had a great week. Nylander's been scoring like crazy. I think he's at 30 goals now. Um, but Mitch Marner, I haven't, like, I think he's been, I think he was a little bit better last night. 
though not spectacular. What have you thought of Marner's game as of late? Yeah, I think that last night he was very good. It feels like every single time there's a next generation game, he kind of steps up and I tweeted that saying that I think that he thinks that he's now on the London Knights in 2015 and 2016. And he goes through these spurts, like even last night, like he was just dancing around the ice. But again, with Marner, it's not something I'm overly concerned about. I mean, we know his skill set. We know what he brings to the table. uh, And and players go through their ups and downs all the time. Um, So with him, I'm not overly concerned. I know that, you know, when the time comes, he will bring it. And I still am hoping that he's with Tavares come playoff time, except kind of based on Keith's lines. Since he came in, it doesn't look like he's going to change anything in terms of those duos, which, I mean, they're both great duos, so I'm okay with that. So I'm not overly concerned about, about Marner right now. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's it's weird complaining about a guy who's got 64 points, 55 games, but he hasn't scored in a long time. Uh, I think he scored his last two goals against Ottawa, one being an empty netter. Uh, I'd like to see him, you know, have a few more big games, and he's been invisible on some nights. Uh, he does penalty kill he does kind of bring it against tough competition but uh, that's the one player i'd like to see a little bit more out of right now uh i guess the other thing is what have you thought of the kids as of late uh sandine is taking a little bit of criticism for his net front battles last night uh but personally i like sandine i don't think he's a i think everyone likes sandine but i don't think his net front battles is a big problem i think he's stronger than barry i think he's stronger than Lilligren. Uh, we see it with some of the hits he throws. Uh, I, I've i seen enough of Sandine to, to see the strength that's there, and I don't really think we're talking about the net front battles as much if he's not 19. Uh, where are you at? At the, where are you, What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we're picking straws when it comes to if if we're complaining about Sandine's net, uh, net front presence. I mean, for, the, for his size, he's not an overly big guy, but he is very tough, as you said. And I love when he throws those hits in the neutral zone. It's almost like... His, his ability to time things is just impeccable. And it almost feels like every time he throws those big hits and, and puts his oppo- uh, opposing player on the ground, it's almost like the opposition is just surprised of when he hits them and it just like catches them off guard completely. He was doing that with the Marlies for the last two years where he steps up uh, in the neutral zone, right, kind of on a half step, and knocks the other guy down. So... Uh, I know that you and I have both talked about his ability to uh, step up in the neutral zone kind of and keep the puck in the play. Uh, also, we've also talked a lot about his ability to hold on to the puck at the perfect time and then create space for his uh, the players that are around him. And that actually was the reason why one of the goals went in. I think it was the Gauthier goal yesterday where they Sandine had the puck at the blue line, passed it to the other defenseman, he had a lot of time. It gave some time for Gauthier to, to come at the top. That play that they make where the, the third forward will come back to the blue line and support the, the other two defensemen. Gauthier got the puck and then scored. So it's the little things with Rasmus Sandin's game. And as you said, he's only 19. So I think we're picking straws when it comes if, if people are upset about his uh, net front battles. Yeah, I think the kids take a little bit more criticism than they should at times. Like, for me, Riley and and Barry, have, and even Cece, they they maybe don't get enough criticism at times. Whereas I think you know the kids, it's like oh they're nineteen, they gotta learn how to win net front battles. It's like 
I think he knows he has to win net front battles. I don't think it's a learning <laughs> thing. Um, so I, I do get kind of tired of some of the narratives there, but where are you at, at on this team overall? So it looks like like we are at, and I said this off the top, it is nice that we got to record after a three-game win streak. Uh, the Leafs are now five points up on Florida with, they've played one extra game, but five points, they, they separated themselves a little bit. Uh, they got a bit of an easy schedule coming up. San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, doing the California trip. Uh, it, things are looking up. I think their playoff odds are like above 80%. Uh, and at the same time, Boston's kind of taken off this week where, while Tampa's kind of drawn back. It looks like they're going to be playing Tampa in the first round at this point, if I was to guess. Stamkos may or may not be in. We're expecting Riley there. Uh, where are you at in terms of their ability to to win a series against someone like Tampa and maybe even take an extended playoff run. I think I'm going to have a boring take here and say that none of the games that we're going to see over the next little bit and the ones that we've seen in two in the last two weeks or actually in the last week let's say none of these single games should really draw a narrative as to how they are going to play against Tampa. Just because this isn't the team that is going to play against Tampa in the first round because of all their injuries. Like I know that, you know, at a coaching level and at a player's level, you can say that those are no excuse, you know, not having Muzzin, not having Riley, other players need to step up. But kind of from a fan's perspective, and when we're analyzing this team, I think that those are huge, like those are their two best defensemen. So, you know, when they lose to Carolina, for example, and they get outshot, well, that's not the same team that would potentially play Carolina in the playoffs. So at this point, like as I look at this team, I, I look at the last three games, they've had, you know, their defense depleted. They've had a bunch of, of very young defensemen and they've done quite well in terms of uh, shots against. They've in all three of their last games, which were all wins, they had they allowed less than 30 shots and their defense was Dermot Hall, Barry Marinson, Sandine, Lilligren, and Rosen. So they've played quite well in terms of team defense. So just going forward, I mean they have to win games, obviously. And to me personally, I don't care how they do it. Whether Anderson has to stand on his head, whether it's a 4-3 close game every single game. To me, just win, get in the playoffs, and then get healthy, and then we could really start assessing this team for what they are. Yeah, I've been pretty encouraged over the last couple weeks. I'd say like the way they played against Tampa, the way they played the one game against Pittsburgh. I'm just writing the Carolina game off. I thought Carolina played outstanding. Uh, not that it's a full excuse, but I, I do give a lot of credit to Carolina for that game. Uh, and then just the way they battled against Florida, the way they played against Vancouver. Uh, I, I am encouraged. It's like at least we know what they're capable of uh, the one thing I like is Tampa is a team with some playoff jitters they there's going to be so much pressure on them in round one after last year and I kind of like that like I like that it is kind of nice that Tampa is going to finish like I don't know 15 I don't know, 15 20 points I have to look at the standings but I know they're going to finish well ahead of the Leafs and then you get to the playoffs and it's like that doesn't matter anymore you get home ice, sure, but like we saw with Columbus last year, if, if it's kind of frustrating to be a team that has so much regular season success and then 
you know, a few bounces happen in the playoffs, and all of a sudden it's like the end of the world, right? So I think I do like that A, Stamkos might not be there, which would be good news for the Leafs, but B, like there's going to be so much pressure on both teams, uh, but Tampa especially. So I do kind of like being the underdog. Uh, it, it almost feels like there's going to be a ton of pressure on, on Tampa where the Leafs are almost playing with house money after a bit of a disappointing season. Yeah, it is going to be a really interesting series now that you bring it up because obviously Tampa is the team that every single year we think that they're going to be the favorites to win the cup and they ultimately don't win the cup. And then, I mean, we don't need to talk about the Leafs playoff history under this group. So, and and I'm actually kind of upset with you. You kind of sold the Leafs short. They're actually only nine points behind Tampa right now. Uh, Tampa does have a game in hand, but I mean, we're on a three game win streak with an easy schedule coming up. You know, maybe we'll get game one in Toronto, but I'm not going to hold my breath anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on that either. Uh, but it is, I mean, you never know, too. There's still 16 games, at least have 16 games left. Uh, you never know if there's another injury. Like, if, if Tampa all of a sudden loses Kucherov or Hedman, like, it could be a completely different series, especially if they still don't have Stamkos. Uh, so we'll wait and see. But I think things are, are finally looking up after a very disappointing previous week. Uh, so we picked our recording times pretty well, I'd say. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple of Marley's trades. I do think they're a lot better. So they traded Ben Harper. Uh, I think that's just a big addition by subtraction. I don't think he can move the puck. I don't think he's quick enough to be good defensively. Uh, they they got they traded Baptiste and Archibald. I don't think either player is very good in transition. Uh, I think they badly needed the transition help. Uh, and then Schmaltz I actually liked, but... He's gone as well. I do like Lorito. I think he brings something to the table from a transition standpoint, which they need. Uh, Kapla, I've really liked. He was in the ECHL for some reason. I don't know why. I think he's played NHL games in the past. I, I think he's an underrated player. And then, you know, they could add someone like Rosen. So, you know, if they can get in the playoffs, maybe they get someone like like Rosen. Uh, maybe they get the kids back. And, and Sandy and Lilligren. Uh, I think Engvall is also eligible. So, you know, it could be... A, a decent playoff team if they can get everyone together. And then I don't know what's going on with Bracco. I don't know what's going on with Batan. Uh, but there's a lot of potential there, and they've been pretty weak this year. So I guess I guess it'd be kind of weird if, if they could somehow squeak into the playoffs and, and have a much better lineup. So I guess it's something to look forward to. Obviously, the, the playoff the, the playoff focus is going to be on the Leafs, but I do think the Marlies got a little bit better there. Nick, any last thoughts? Yeah, it's just going to be weird considering we're so used to having good Marlies teams. And I know they have a couple games in hand on the other guys in their division. So hopefully they can make it up. But one thing I'll say is I was pretty happy when I saw Harper get traded because I'm tired of seeing Ben Harper next to Mac Hollowell, who's one of my favorite players in the organization. Um, so... I'm so glad I don't need to watch that pairing anymore because I love watching Mac Hollowell, but I hated watching him pass the puck across the, the ice to Ben Harper and the play would just die. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to watch Ben Harper play for a Toronto team ever again, I hope. But uh, so... Maybe the Argos. Maybe He'd be good on the Argos. He's he's tall. He'd be <laughs> like a good like tight end. Like You could probably block. Um, I'll, we'll have to look into that. Might be a good uh, a good article. <laughs> yeah. But going into next week here, they're doing the California trip. 
so what we what we always do at the end of the podcast is saying, you know, how many points do we need to be happy? So they got San Jose on Tuesday. Logan Couture is back, uh, but they haven't been very good this year. They still have some injuries. Uh, they got L.A. on Thursday, and then a back-to-back. Uh, I'm guessing, so it's it's Anaheim on the Friday, so I'm guessing on the back-to-back it's going to be Campbell versus Old Team on Thursday, Anderson versus Old Team on Friday. It's nice that it works out that way. Uh, but how many points do you need to be happy out of those three games? Well, I'm going to the game um, against the Kings, so I need a win there. And then I've got a 70% chance that I'm going to the game in Anaheim, so... I need a win there. So so there's four wow. games in all, you said? Three. Uh, three. Three games in all. So I'm going to go four because the games that I go to, I need a win. And then I'll, I, I don't want to get too optimistic. So I'm sorry for the, the people that are going to be watching the, the first game uh, against San Jose because I'm dubbing that a loss. Well, you're, uh, you're living the dream here. Yeah. That's the, the highlight of the episode. Yeah, uh, definitely. And then, uh, I mean, the tickets are, I'm sure, a little bit cheaper there too. Yeah, I could um, probably go to like five of these games for the price of one in, in Toronto, so I need to take advantage. Well, pretty jealous, but uh, I'm going to say, you know, four I'll, I'll accept, but I need five to be happy. I just think it's, you know, weak, weak teams. Um, five, if they blow one in overtime, I'll, I'll, I'll accept it, I'll be happy, but I want uh, four to at least accept it. So with that being said, thanks everyone for listening this week, and uh, we'll see everyone next week.